Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You're listening to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Your hosts are Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. We talk about the latest going-ons at United look ahead to our next game and give you an update on the youth side the club's loanees and Casey Stoney's women's team enjoy the show wonderful finish fabulous free kick he's done it again welcome back to the Manchester United weekly podcast today we're throwing ourselves back to March the 7th United's last league game a 2-0 win against City and then we're considering the way in which the Premier League has returned how the FA Cup and Europa League should return with United having a chance in both of those competitions and perhaps more importantly we're previewing Manchester United's first game in three months, a Premier League away match at Tottenham Hotspur on Friday evening. Jack, the, the only place to start, having said all of that, is with the the absolute hero, the absolute boss man that is Marcus Rashford, who by the end of the year, you would think could be the BBC Sports personality of the year, could have the, the keys to the city of Manchester, whatever he likes, because everything he's done, I mean, it's this weird set. I have this weird sense of pride for Marcus Rashford, not being a member of his family, not even having grown up in Withenshaw where he grew up, and and yet I, I feel proud of, of everything he's done. And, and most people will know what he's done, but everything he's done over the last three months during the coronavirus pandemic has been incredible. Yeah, you know, we just talked on the last episode about all the the injustices that are facing the world, and especially you know someone like Marcus Rashford, a, a black boy growing up in a, a pretty you know poor neighbourhood in in Greater Manchester. And now he's not only has, has sort of made it to where he is today, but now the you know the sort of philanthropic work that he's doing, the way he's giving back, and and not just giving back, throwing money at things and hoping that that something sticks. Actually, you know, taking action and really doing things himself to try and improve other people's lives around him. It, it's really inspiring to watch. Um, you know, we've just been lobbying Boris Johnson to give out free school meals over the summer to kids that have to do summer yeah. schoolwork. He's He's been incredible for the entire time that he's been out. And he, he is, you're right, a, a wonderful example, I think, of everything that a Manchester United player, and, and to be fair, any any footballer should be, and the kind of role model that he is, the, his story growing up in, you know, like I said, not the, the best place in, in Manchester. And, and, you know, making it as a footballer and not forgetting where he's come from, he's always stayed true to his roots and, and given back to, you know, to Withenshaw and the city of Manchester. Yeah, and it's not just that he's... He's given a, a significant amount of his money to charity. It's not just that he's 
help to raise 20 million for fair share, uh, which helps to feed, I think it's 200 or 300,000 kids every week across the country who, uh, who are suffering from the fact that they no longer get free school meals or, or simply their, their families just don't have enough money to, uh, to feed them such as, is the state of poverty in the UK, um, that, that we often forget too much. Um, but it's it's the manner in which he's done it as well. He's done it without. It's it's a it's a it's a strange thing to say. But the reason he's been able to to perhaps get more support than others is because he's done it without making anyone feel bad. He's done it uh, without attacking any any people in particular. He's done it by kind of bringing all of these communities together, and that is that's quite a skill to have for a twenty one twenty two year old kid. Um, and Withenshaw is an area of South Manchester, which is, yeah, it's uh, it's an area with quite a lot of poverty. It's, it's two most famous things are probably Marcus Rashford and, and Withenshaw Hospital. And it's had its problems with with gun crime and uh, and poverty and, and, and issues on, on estates and, and gangs. And But it's also a, a massive community where of working class people who help each other out and, and for Rashford to do this is it, it is brilliant um, and it, it does make you feel proud in a weird sense um, right let's let's go to uh, back to March the 7th Scott McTominay has just scored from 35 yards against Manchester City and <laughs> it was a it was a rainy night in Manchester and it was you know, it seemed so far away but it, it, it was so good and the, the reason I wanted to go back to this is not just out of a, a sense of of going back, but because I think it is worth reminding ourselves of what position we were in before football stopped, and it was our last league game, as extraordinary as that is to say. And I think it's it's good to look back at it, appreciate how good it was, and and also some of the tactical points from it. The fact that Luke Shaw and Williams started in that that kind of left back pivoty thing, which was a a bit strange, and that was one of the, these these and Solskjaer kind of not not massive, but quite important small tactical innovations that have, have brought United quite a lot of success this season. We never we never quite got the chance to do a, a full review of that City game and it, it's important I think that we do give it the time that it deserves now because it, it was a, a truly a, a memorable occasion at Old Trafford, one of the best that we've seen in, in a long, long time. The, you know, the Manchester derby for the last sort of three years or so has, has strangely been dominated by the away teams. You know, we've done very well at the Etihad and scored quite a few good victories there, but we've been pretty comfortably beaten at, at Old Trafford in pretty, pretty much every game since Pep Guardiola has taken charge at, at uh, the yeah. Etihad. So it was nice to finally uh, get one over over them in front of our own fans at Old Trafford. And you're right, Solskjaer's, Solskjaer's tactical changes I mean yeah for the whole season really have been slightly better and especially since since Christmas and then even more so just in general against Pep Guardiola he seems to have Pep's number at the moment he's now I think alongside is it alongside Mourinho the only manager to have beaten Pep three times in a season after doing the double in the league and then also beating him in the second leg of the Carabao Cup semi-final yeah Yeah, that's no that's no small achievement and it's testament to I think Solskjaer's growth as a manager you know, I, I, it's it's always a difficult one to ju- to to judge with Solskjaer because he still hasn't been in the in the job yeah. for that long. But it's it's positive signs at least that there does seem to be a lot of growth from him. And exactly the same way that we expect you know growth from our players from our signings, we should also be expecting growth from our managers and especially one like Solskjaer who's still yeah. relatively inexperienced. And I think we are starting to see that, which is at least a positive, even if he doesn't get everything right all the time. Yeah, and there's there's been plenty during the break of of people kind of doing uh, kind of an evaluation of, of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and I think the conclusion will will change over the next few weeks depending on whether we finish fourth, fifth or sixth depending on whether we qualify for the Champions League we're not sure what's going to happen with City yet we'll know in the next 
a few days or, or, or at least in the next couple of weeks, I think, uh, about their, their European ban, um, which would change whether United, if they finish fifth, go into the Champions League or Europa League. But I think we, 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 we've seen growth from Solskjaer and I think someone like Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who was brilliant in that City game and, and shut down Sterling, Scott McTominay obviously scored in that um, it's and and Fred had a great game against City as well, and and those three players that kind of sum up uh, sum up Solskjaer's qualities in in the way that he he has he has led to improvements in specific players. Um, I think we should we should talk about the the present now. Um, the Premier League is returning, and it's it's it was. I think if I cast my mind back two or three weeks, I think this was much more of a debate than it is now. And in a way, that's strange because although the the number of deaths in the UK has gone down in the last couple of weeks even a week ago it it hadn't dropped that much the 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 death toll and, and the number of people and the number of families being being bereaved by the coronavirus and yet football was coming back i think now the general consensus is that and this is either because everyone's kind of just thought well it, it's happening so so we'll accept it or it's because people want to to cast their minds elsewhere. But now I think the general consensus is well, it's come back, and that's probably the right decision. Yeah, I mean, without without wanting to make this uh, this into a sort of Daily Mail or the Guardian podcast on on the UK's coronavirus policy, but I think you know it, it's been a bit of a mess to be honest with you. The whole thing. Um, I was very yeah. surprised when it was announced the Premier League would come back. I think it, it was probably for me a couple of weeks too early. Just the optics of you know being able to put all the resources and the money and all the testing infrastructure into uh, the Premier League coming back, you know, which really started in earnest sort of the, the last week of May. When, as you said, there were still sort of three, four hundred deaths every single day in the UK at that point. Yeah. And we still didn't have enough tests for people, um, and so the optics of then allowing the Premier League to conduct thousands of tests, you know, three times a week is not is not the best but I mean from a selfish point of view I'm very happy that the Premier League has come back because yeah. it's going to make my summer a lot more enjoyable it's going to make all of us you know our I guess our esteem just that give us give us that boost that will, that will be nice um, but yeah I am I am yeah. quite surprised that it came back quite so quickly you know you look at other countries that have managed to bring back football especially Germany sort of being the main one in, in Europe and you know they handled the crisis so much better with very very few deaths and very few cases um yeah so i mean I, I worry slightly that this may not help but it looks like they have put you know a lot of thought into how everything's being done there's been a lot lot of precautions yeah. uh taken so far so just fingers crossed everything kind of works out as, as we hope yeah yeah i think if you, if you want some more detail on on the not the moral implications of bringing the premier league back which I certainly two or three weeks ago I I, I did have com- some concerns and I'll, I'll talk about them in a second. But if you want some more detail in terms of the science behind Project Restart, as it's been called, there's a, a a good podcast called Football Today, um, which spoke to someone who who has far better scientific knowledge than 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 we do about the the actual science behind this and the the likelihood of of players spreading the coronavirus, the the testing that's required, and, and the key point is that the the UK's test and trace system has been so shambolic that it, it really can't be compared to, to Germany. And that's where the big the big problem lies. And I mean, we saw a, a Norwich player having having played a, a friendly against Spurs test positive for coronavirus. United play Spurs on Friday and there seems to be no suggestion that uh, that one Norwich player having been tested positive, having come into contact with the, the Tottenham players, uh, will have any effect on, on the Premier League schedule. And it, it seems a bit strange, but ultimately money is king in this situation. Um, I, I think 
I think it's probably best to move past the the, the moral considerations that I did have because I, I, the the one thing I did think was that people came out and Golo Kante, for example, was training by himself at Chelsea. His brother died last year of a, a heart problem, I think it was, and he he clearly didn't want to to take a risk. Um, Troy Deeney was saying he's got a young kid at home with breathing problems. He didn't want it, and and all of these were obviously individual cases. And I thought I, I understand why people say, oh well, they're players; they they should get back on with their jobs, but. The reality is that these were individual cases. I think the response to them uh, made me uh, frustrated. But I think in, in general, bringing football back had to be done at some point because like any other industry, it, there are serious consequences. These are, there, there's people's jobs on the line that aren't footballers uh, because of the, the, the stopping of football and it needed to come back to, to support that industry. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly worth thinking about the implications that this will have on sort of wider wider people than just Premier League players. Like you said, all of the, the staff involved who went to get back to their jobs, all of the people who, who this will help support them in their jobs. You know, it looks like pubs may reopen soon, which although I'm again not particularly happy about the prospect of that when it's still quite a big risk in the UK it will at least you know help a lot of people in getting back to work and financially helping them get back on their feet yeah. so, you know the implications of this are are far wider reaching and you know I don't I don't doubt that the Premier League have done you know all of their due diligence on on the issue and they are far smarter people than, than myself you know deciding on, on all of this um, and you know to be fair I think so far they have had you know re- very good testing plans in place and have I think engaged with the concerns yeah. of some players relatively well um, yeah I just the, the thing that, that is just still worries me is of course you know what happens if if one player, especially a high profile yeah. player, is sick, or if one team goes down? You know, almost. I'm taken back to. Um, I think it was was it 2007, 2008 when Spurs on the final day the food like half of their, scandal. Of their squad. Yeah, exactly. Taken out because of yeah. food poisoning and allowed Arsenal to get fourth place ahead of them. You know, it just a scenario yeah. like that would be really, really, really poor for the for the Premier League to have to deal with. And I think that that is kind of the main the main worry here. You know, because so many players are asymptomatic because they're healthy and but they can still give it to other people it's just the the potential for that kind of scandal is is high yeah and i i think my my main problem with the the whole thing was the use of football as well i mean the the phrase a political football applies more to uh to other things normally but football was being used as a kind of a, a political weapon in the same way that i think pubs are is a bringing football back an easy way to, to get the public on side, bringing pubs back an easy way to get the public on side. But there are lots of other things, which lots of other industries as well, the important thing that won't be brought back because they, because the, the, the balance between the risk, uh, of of spreading coronavirus and the benefits of bringing it back to the public are are different whereas football i think as an industry is willing to take that risk and the government as well is willing to take that risk because the benefits of of enjoyment um and and public morale i guess are are bigger but i think that the, the bundesliga we're going to talk about because they've been back for a few weeks and it is a different situation but one really interesting point i i read about the bundesliga uh if you if you think about if you can remember yeah. Joshua Kimmich's goal in the Classica between Bayern Munich and Dortmund, which was one of, I think it was the second or third game back uh, for those two sides. A wonderful goal. But a writer called um, Joshua Robinson for the Wall Street Journal looked into it and a, a really interesting point emerged. And because players have had to be training by themselves, uh, because they've been isolating, and, and what can you what can you train by yourself? You can't do tactics. You can't do do passing. Uh, you can do individual training, which is generally unopposed dribbling, which has 
few benefits, uh, fitness or shooting, shooting into an empty net. And then as things progress, to be fair, into, into a net with a, a socially distanced goalkeeper, if you like. And he looked into this and, and discovered that because these players have had the chance to practice shooting, which is something that elite footballers don't really get the chance to do so, that the the conversion rate in the Bundesliga has, has gone up. So the percentage of shots that turn into goals. So for Bayern, it's gone up by a significant amount. Dortmund's too. And actually five of the top six teams are now finishing more chances than they were before the, the break. And that's that's kind of one of these... These these changes in football that is is, is weird to consider, and um, it is true. Elite footballers have never really had the the chance to practice shooting uh, since they turned sixteen or seventeen. Because training, because there's so many games, is normally a mixture of of recovery, some small tactical points going into a big game, not necessarily improving on your shooting, on your dribbling, on your passing, like a specific or, or underused part of the game. And that's a shame maybe, which just shows. Imagine how good some players could be if they had the opportunity, as they have done now, to work on their shooting. Um, so so we'll see if it if, if that if it has the same effect in the Premier League. Maybe we'll see it from, from Martial, Rashford. But probably the, the bigger effect will be on the, the players who aren't normally practising their shooting, the midfielders like Kimmich, yeah. or in United's case, like Fred or McTominay. You know, I wonder if it might help someone like Dan James. Yeah. I spoke on the last episode that I think he might be someone to watch out for coming out of this break. And it, he's the, exactly that kind of person. You know, he needed needed time to be able to work on sort of the technical aspects of his game, which as crazy as it sounds, you're right. Players don't actually get that much time to, to practice normally. And, and it seems silly because it seems like such a foundational thing. But it's that, you know, think yeah. about yourself and your own training sessions. Any of you have played kind of foot, like amateur football, it, it's true. In training sessions, how often do you really practice your own technical things? It's more group work or, or tactical stuff that yeah. you train and the, the other thing that I wonder and I noticed this in the very brief highlights of the um, the two friendlies that we played against West Brom mostly in the case of Marcus Rashford was I, just, I wonder if players will uh, be able to come back using sort of a few more skills and tricks as well because that's another thing that you can kind of do on your own and it's the kind of thing that you know players when the little boy in them comes out still want to try and you know show off in their back garden and uh <laughs> you know, skill up the uh, the garden pot that they would have put down as the, the defender or something. <laughs> yeah. And I noticed in the in the highlights of the um, friendly against West Brom, you know, Marcus Rashford had three or four different occasions where he's pulling out different tricks. I mean, he already a couple of roulettes here. Yeah, and I there. Think there was a McGeady spin in there as well. And you know, he he already uses in quite a lot. He uses the flip flag quite a lot. Um, but I wonder if we'll see a few more players being able to kind of pull some of those out out of the bag now they've had a bit more time to practice. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing, and I think I think we will be looking for for differences in football. And I think a lot of the focus will be on on fitness, yeah. on how how Solskjaer sets his United side up with with Pogba and Bruno Fernandes and the speed of the game. But I think actually these these tiny little things, which you'd never normally think about, might might be quite interesting. So we will be looking out to see if Dan James's shooting is better, and, and then I'm sure someone with access to all, all the statistics will um, will write an article on it or something. Yeah, I've got to say, there's one thing that's that's good about um, sports coverage in the, in the US generally. There seems to be a lot more acceptance of using analytics data over here, uh, which is nice. And I think that like like that uh, article in the Wall Street Journal, it's nice to kind of see those sort of stats used because it's undoubtedly what football teams are using we just don't really see it very much in the mass media in the UK so I, I think we, it'd be good if we could normalise uh, some use of some more use of those kind of stats places like Statbomb and stuff like that yeah I, yeah I think I think the difference in this is not a, a United point but more of a football media point um, I think the difference in, in the two countries is getting slimmer but I think the problem that the UK has with with football stats is to a lot of us well what happens is is the people that do focus on these stats the majority of them the, the very good ones obviously do it very well but I think the majority of them 
just put the numbers out sometimes. And you get a lot of these Twitter accounts who yeah. have access to Opta or Scout or something, and they'll, they'll put out a tweet saying, these were the numbers. And you think, well, okay, but I, I, I could work out what that means if I really wanted to, but why, why don't you tell me? And I think the difference is on the few occasions I have read yeah. um, stuff from the US, either on, on soccer or on, on their own sports, it's, it's looking at the numbers and, and then telling the readers what that means. And I don't think we get enough of that. And, and maybe that will start to, start to change, but that's kind of what you want. Because if, if someone's just spouting numbers at you, you're thinking, well, I, I don't yeah. really care. Just, just tell me the message. And this was why that Wall Street Journal piece was good, because it was shootings improved because people have had, had a chance to work on it. Now that, I, to me, maybe it'll be boring to people listening to this, but to me, that that, that was really interesting. That's fascinating, yeah. yeah it's, it's no, I, I, think, I, I think another thing with the, you know, the, the differences in the way that media writes about this too is that in Britain we have, and, and I think partly probably comes down to that that most people in Britain have have played or supported a team before you know kind of for their whole lives is that we have a much more like romantic yeah. view of football as well and that it's all down to the emotional yeah. connection and you know how, how much pride you have in wearing the shirt and stuff like that and I think yeah I just, I just think in the US there isn't that kind of football culture that has been built up yet and so I think there is a bit more of like a um, like step back kind of more objective almost more like clinical approach to it whereas we are definitely more sort of romanticists when it comes to uh, the way that we view the game yeah also it, there might be something in the, in the fact that college football is in uh, uh, American football and college yeah. sport is so big that because because Americans have the chance to kind of have two teams, there's kind of that separation between the the elite uh, professional level and the elite college level, which maybe gives more of an opportunity yeah. to to have kind of different analysis at different level. Whereas football naturally is is very hierarchical and and there is the elite and this is the way it's covered and there is the smaller teams and, and that's the way it's covered anyway um in terms of how if you've watched the Bundesliga um I, I've enjoyed it quite a lot La Liga came back last week as well I think I think oh, it, it, it's been nice to have football again there's no doubt about that the the question I want to ask is fan noise plugged into stadiums yes or yeah, not you know what I was very very against this when I first heard that the Bundesliga were considering bringing it back um, I, you know, yeah. I think there's such a stigma around it, especially when when there are normally fans in the stadium. You know, we hear teams like Arsenal occasionally pumping like fan noise into the Emirates to increase the atmosphere, and you just think, oh, that's <laughs> the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So I, I really wasn't wasn't very optimistic about it at all. But actually, having watched the games on TV, it's actually worked really, really well. I think it's been a great addition. Yeah. So I remember watching. There are two games stick out in my mind before sort of um, football was shut down. One was England playing against Croatia um, in, immediately their first game after the World Cup in 2018. And then also our game against Lask, the, our final game before the season was stopped. And both games were in behind closed doors yeah. um, in the Croatia game's case because of racist abuse from Croatia fans and being handed a FIFA ban and then against Lask because of coronavirus precautions. And both were... Don't get me wrong, it's still football, you know, it's still great to watch, but it felt very eerie watching it. It, it felt just bizarre to be watching almost like what felt almost like a Sunday league game, but with elite level footballers. But then watching the Bundesliga games, it's it's felt, don't get me wrong, it still feels a little bit weird, you know, when they cut to the shot of yeah. a manager on the sideline and they're wearing a mask or you you get a shot of the stadium and there's no one there. But the crowd noise does just make it feel a little bit more normal. And I think the way they've done it in the Bundesliga where... Yeah. 
I guess there's obviously someone controlling it with different options, different sounds they could play. There's people clapping when someone hits a good pass. There's people cheering when yeah. there's a goal. There's people, you know, moaning when someone does, makes mistakes, things like that. It, it actually works really, yeah. really well. I'm imagining someone sat like in a in a in a room in the the downstairs area of a stadium with kind of like a soundboard in front of him. Yeah, exactly. Just tap, <laughs> I, I imagine it, it must be something like that, unless it's automated on because obviously FIFA and and Pro Evo managed to adjust sound noises to to what goes on so maybe it's automated but I imagine it, it's someone doing it to make sure it's it's a bit more natural I th- yeah I was the same as you I, when when we first when it was first mentioned I thought no absolutely absolutely no chances this this is a, an affront to to fan culture to to football culture and everything yeah. about it and I, I there is a, a little bit of me that, that that feels that still but I think it works well I think there was also a debate whether you just have it on TV or if you have it in the stand as well the one thing I say about the stand if you have it in the stadium while it's going on, the, it, it does open it up for a, a, a scandal. If if you've got someone having control over the the crowd noise, it it obviously makes a difference to to how players play, whether the crowd is loud or not. And if someone's about to pull the trigger on a shot, yeah. and you get the the guy below the stadium launches kind of some some ridiculous noise or a police siren or something, then <laughs> yeah, I'm, it, it just it occurred to me. But I, or if I do he's using like a DJ's a DJ's mixing table and accidentally starts playing some some drum and bass music or something over yeah, the speakers. Yeah, exactly. I, d- I do think that something that does have to happen is is some organisation, whether it's the, the Football Supporters Federation or something, has to make sure that before this becomes the norm, uh, that uh, some kind of rule is put in place to say you can't pump noise into games if there are any fans in the stadium. Because I think it, it does open it up for future because I know Arsenal have done it before games, but no one does it during games really because it, it, it shouldn't happen. So I think someone needs to, to make sure that this is thought about before someone does it and before it becomes a, a debate whether it's allowed because it, it definitely shouldn't be allowed. Um, right, Spurs on Friday night, 8.15 kickoff in an, an empty Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, the first time we've played there. Uh, I have been there. Well, I went for a pre-season game to to see what it was like. It, it's, a, it's a pretty impressive stadium. Uh, especially their their single tier, the largest single tier stand in Europe is it, it does look pretty good, and it it all seems to be basically perfectly designed, uh, much better than than the Emirates um, in terms of, of of how it is as a football stadium. Pogba, we spoke about this on on the last episode. How you fit Pogba and Bruno in the same team? According to the Athletic, Paul Pogba won't start on Friday night. He hasn't played since Boxing Day, to be fair. Um, so, how do you think United will will line up, and, and what are you expecting from from this game? I'm expecting quite a scrappy game, to be honest, more than anything. I think there's going to be a lot of mistakes, yeah. a lot of rust for the players to to kind of kick off the cobwebs. But I'm excited. I think it's, it's two teams who can play very, very entertaining football, but can also play very boring, very turgid football as well. As we, we ourselves know from Jose Mourinho's time as, as Man United manager, it can go one of two ways. <laughs> and to be fair, we've played some very, very boring games this season, but also been involved in some crackers. So I am, I'm slightly worried for how boring this game could be if both teams yeah. approach this game from a standpoint of this is our first game back. We need to kind of take, you know, be cautious, you know, not take too many we need risks. To win. Well, exactly. We do need to win. And so I think we, we should be coming out of this. And ultimately, I think we're a better side than Tottenham based on what we saw before before the, yeah. before the, the I don't even know what to call it. I was going to say the break, but that doesn't feel like a, a, a strong enough term to, <laughs> to, to say what we the have. Enforced the enforced break, break yeah. from, from, from football, yeah. 
um, before the enforced break from football, we are a better side than Tottenham. And I think we should yeah. be going all out to try and win this game. In terms of how we set up, it looks from reports like Paul Pogba won't start. And, you know, I think it's worth bearing in mind he hasn't played since was against Watford on Boxing Day, I think. So, you know, it's, it's been a long time, so it doesn't really surprise me. So I'd expect in midfield, Fred, McTominay, Bruno Fernandes um, with Rashford and Martial. And then, I mean, that that's sort of the only major selection headache, I would think, for Solskjaer, who's that third forward that you put in there. Do you play... Juan Mata coming off the right. Do you play Jesse Lingard? Do you play Dan James? I don't really know how Tottenham are going to set up in this. It wouldn't surprise me if they sit quite deep, in which case maybe Juan Mata would be a better option. Um, Defensively, for me, the back four pretty much picks itself in in Wan-Bissaka, Lindelof, Maguire and Luke Shaw. Um, I guess the only real conundrums there are whether you play Eric Bailly, who, you know, played in the the friendlies against West Brom and did okay before the enforced break. I don't think I'd bring him in yet. I think I think you've basically I think the back four is pretty set to start with unless yeah. he's going to go with a, a back three again, which is is possible. Uh, but in that case, I think he'd probably start sure in that that left centre back role like he did against City yeah. and against Liverpool uh, with Williams at, at left wing. But I think he'll probably go for the back four, and then I I was predicting Matic to start instead because I think he might want to save McTominay for the the Wednesday game against Sheffield United um, and if you, the, the options are good for now because we play on Friday and Wednesday that's a, a pretty significant break but also uh, if, if you're starting Matic to come into the Sheffield United game you've got McTominay, Pogba, Greenwood and Brandon Williams, uh, Twanzebe, Eric Bai, Diogo Dallo. You've got some some decent options there. We'll see when players start picking up injuries again which is undoubted. I noticed that Phil Jones got injured uh, again, um, which yeah, pr- I mean, it's, it's, at this point, it, it, it's almost as big a meme, a meme as his face. You know, it's it's quite incredible. I think he's the only player to get injured without any any games. I haven't heard of any other injuries during this this kind of yeah. period before. But the, I, I, the thing I was thinking about just a second ago is is the the problem for this restart is if you lose your first game, you're you're straight away in trouble. It's it's not like the start of the season where you've got five or six games to get into your rhythm. If we lose to Spurs, then suddenly we're we're under proper challenge. We're we're under proper pressure when we play Sheffield United on Wednesday. Chelsea can extend their advantages in in, in fourth place. So it's it's you you really have got to start this this period really quickly. Um, for example, it's, it's not quite as important for us as, as say Arsenal because if Arsenal lose their first game which they probably will against City but if they lose their first couple of games they're out of the race completely the same probably applies to, to Tottenham as well so it, it could be really exciting yeah, yeah it could and, and the games are going to be coming thick and fast you know it's it's pretty much what two games every other week I think and one game in those other weeks and plus we'll have Europa League and FA Cup games thrown in there as well so there's, there's not going to be any time for, for teams to rest at all you know it's going to be like you said at the start of the season which this kind of feels relatively similar to you have like four or five maybe six games you have about four five six games then you have the September international break then you come back have another five or six games and you have the October international break so it is sort of all cut up but this is going to be a straight what is it nine game slap to the end really with no breaks and for us it could end up being 15 games potentially or more if we get to the Europa League final and the FA Cup final yeah yeah Although in in a way, because I, I would say I, I wrote a piece for United, we stand in in the June issue saying we should we should use this opportunity to kind of have a bit of an experiment with with football league structures because football is so stuck in its ways, and I, I generally agree with that. I think we should maintain the the league system. I, I don't think it should be messed with, but we have got this opportunity to kind of have a one off experiment. 
And in a way, I think this this restart period at the end is kind of like what would you what you would have if you played if everyone played each other once and then split off into separate leagues to decide the the champions, the Europa League spots, the relegation spots. Yeah. In a way, I think Scotland used to do it. Uh, I know Colombia still <coughs> do it. Um, there, there's it's quite a few leagues that do it. Um, I mean, and in it a way, everyone it is a like, chance of winning a trophy that way. Even the mid-table teams will have something to play for at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, but it also gives you that kind of final ten games where everything matters. Um, so it, it, yeah. it will kind of be a way to see to see how that works. So it could be exciting. Now, uh, I will give you a, a short youth and loan update. Last episode, I told you what was going on with the women's team. So I'll just give you a quick update on Angel Gomez and Ted Mengi. So the Athletics say that uh, United and Angel Gomez are, and I quote here, edging towards a new deal. His current one expires at the end of June on the 30th. The options are him leaving on June the 30th and looking for a new club, signing a new short-term deal at United until the end of this season, whenever it goes on to, or or signing a long-term deal at United. I think option one and three are most likely. I think he'll either leave or sign a new long-term contract. The hold-up is about him wanting some some guarantees or, or not really guarantees but kind of a promise that he will get some game time because in fairness he hasn't been given that many chances under Mourinho or Solskjaer if he signs he'll earn about 25 grand a week uh, is, is what's being reported at the moment now in training 18 year old Ted Mengi has been training with the first team he's a really uh, talented centre back uh, I've, I've been watching him for I think five years now and he used to play in midfield for the under 16s and he was kind of this storming midfielder with some great technique but uh, he'd score from midfield all the time and he's moved back permanently into central defence and he's really improved in in the under 23s this season I I tweeted an article uh, about Ted and Menke that I wrote for United We Stand but I tweeted out the full article uh, a couple of days ago so you can see that on my Twitter but also trading in the first team were, were Jimmy Garner Teeth Chong and Angel Gomez Jack I'll ask for your prediction for the Spurs game before we wrap Ooh, up let's go be positive we'll go with a 2-3-1 victory for United with Rashford and Martial that is positive I, I said this on the last episode but I'm, I am most excited to see Marcus Rashford back more so than I am to see United play yeah. Tottenham just because of, every, of, of everything he was doing before how much excitement he was playing with before but also the, the work he's been doing it, it, I, I am excited to see the players and this is not just Rash but I'm also excited to see Dan James Martial Bruno it's, I'm excited to see them more than I'm excited for the, the United Spurs game itself um, I'm going to go with a, a 2-1 United win positive as well but Rashford and Martial to score and I'm not sure who's going to score for them because I've, I haven't watched Spurs enough and they've had too many injuries for me to even keep count <laughs> right thank you very much for listening as always to the Manchester United weekly podcast uh, for more from us throughout the week you can find Jack on Twitter at, at UTD Tate T-A-I-T and just on that note I've uh, recently relocated to Chicago in the US so if there's anyone on Twitter who's involved with the Man United Supporters Club in Chicago or the Supporters Bar downtown I know it's probably not open right now but please give me a tweet I'd, I'd love to find out a bit more and maybe come down yeah do well. that or you can tweet at UTD Weekly Pod that's the podcast Twitter or my Twitter is at Harry Robinson 64 uh, for for our thoughts throughout the week right thank you very much for listening as always if you are enjoying this podcast the one thing you can do to, to help us out is by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a review you might think it, it's not much it only takes half a minute but it, it does help us massively it helps more people find the podcast and, and, and listen to it so do that if you're enjoying the show it would be much appreciated right have a great week enjoy football being back enjoy Manchester United being back and let us know your thoughts on United goodbye
Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.